The scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, we come now to this which is your, your word and I pray for me and for us that, that I, that we would never just sort of take it for granted to be complacent as we open the scripture, God. Um, we have Bibles laying around all over the place and so sometimes we think they're not all that special. But yet we realize that these words, God, are yours. So this book is unlike any other. And so we pray that we would be always breathless when we open this book because we know what it contains, the very word of God. And so now I pray that you would work that sense in us in a great anticipation that we will hear from you. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Nehemiah and uh, chapter 7. Nehemiah and chapter 7, please. Um, I didn't mark in the bulletin what I exactly I was going to read. A, I wasn't quite sure when I went to print. And, and B, I, I need to read from chapter 7 and chapter 8. And I haven't time to read all of it. So I'm going to skip all of the names. I've proven to you that I can do it. Uh, and that I will. And uh, so it isn't that they're not important. It's just a matter of, of time. And uh, uh, that uh, we, don't, uh, we don't have. But let me begin in chapter 7 and verse 1. Uh, this is the word of God. Now when the wall had been built, and I, that is Nehemiah, had set up the doors, and gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and when they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. And the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. And then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first, and I found written uh, in it. And these were the people of the province who came up out of captivity, uh, captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried uh, into exile. And they returned to Jerusalem and uh, Judah, each to his own town. And then he lists the head family names and then the citizens and then the, the priests and the Levites and servants of the temple and, uh, and so forth, even those who perhaps um, should not have been enrolled, they would have to wait until others came to discern that. And then verse 73. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, uh, the temple servants and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come and the people of Israel were in their towns. And all the people gathered as one man, chapter 8, verse 1, into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from, the, from early morning until midday. 
in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, and then he lists all those who were with him. And then verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people shouted, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then he lists others who were with him and helped the people understand the law. Verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 7. While the people remained in their places. Verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they understood the sense, so that the people understood the reading. Verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go your way, eat fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Now, God will help me. I want to take up a very, very familiar expression that comes from chapter 8 and verse 10. And it's this expression... Uh, And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now you remember that Nehemiah had been sent back by God. He had been enslaved in Persia. And he was sent back by God to rebuild, help rebuild, lead the rebuilding of the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And you remember that before that, The people of Israel had been exiled to Babylonia and then the Persians overtook the Babylonians and they said people could go back to their homeland. And so many went, not all, but many went. And, you know, they first rebuilt the temple. And then after a long period of time, Ezra the priest went to reestablish Uh, the worship in uh, Jerusalem. And then 12 or 13 years later, this man Nehemiah came back to oversee the rebuilding of the walls around the city to make the city secure so that the people could rebuild the city and so the culture of God's people could once again um, be established and flourish. That would be at least the plan in the city of Jerusalem, this worshiping community that would take all of these returned exiles who had lived around Jerusalem and some no doubt would move back in and they would be secure there to be the worshiping people of God. And you remember that rebuilding the walls, uh, there was opposition. Uh, there was opposition from outside these, these ones whose names were Tobiah and Sanballat and Gresham. You remember came against them and, and threatened even violence. And also used political deception to try to get Nehemiah to, to, to stop rebuilding the walls or at least join with them. And you know that the people resisted uh, even though they were made afraid by the threats. And they resisted because uh, Nehemiah said to them, remember the Lord. 
That is, remember that the Lord is with you so that when you work, he works. So that when you fight, he fights. So take up your sword, right? And take up your trowel and get to work on the wall. And so the people trusted God because they remembered him. They thought about him. They said, oh, yes, he's with us. And that gave them strength and courage. And then there was opposition from within because the people were torn because uh, there was injustice. Some were taking advantage of of others, even of their their fellow um, Israelites. And so taking advantage of them uh, uh, in order to end it, uh, Nehemiah said to them, we must fear the Lord. We must realize that God is in our midst. And how can we behave like this to our brothers when God has been so gracious to bring us back to this place. And so fearing the Lord, then the injustice stopped and the people joined together arm in arm then to get back and to rebuild this wall. But now you see, now that the wall's been rebuilt and the temple is there, the question is, what will give them strength? How will they be encouraged to rebuild the city? How will they be encouraged to rebuild themselves as a worshiping community? No doubt they would still need to remember the Lord. No doubt they would still need to fear the Lord. But now introduced to us is another piece, maybe an overriding piece, of what will give them strength. Now, of course, as we've been reading this, we've been reading this as we ought to with an eye towards ourselves as well, knowing uh, that we too are the people of God, and, and that we too uh, have uh, to, to, to build, if you will, uh, the church that Jesus has established. And here we are together building one another up. And as we build one another up, we're building the church. And so, so the question is, is how do we continue to do that? What gives us strength? What encourages us to continue to do that in the face of the opposition that, that we, we see each day and that perhaps even for us may increase over time? We simply don't know. But we know throughout history there's been opposition against the church. So what has kept us? What has enabled us? What has enabled us to continue on? What has given us what should give us strength as a church? Grace EPC, what's going to strengthen us as a particular church to continue on, to, to do all that is necessary to do to be this church? And Big Church, capital C, what will enable Big Church, capital C, to keep on as well? knowing the great call that's before us to fight the good fight of faith. When the apostle uses that language, he does so because it fits. There is a fight to maintain, to extend faith. There's opposition against it. And so how do we maintain it? How are we enabled? What strengthens us? And what we find in that little expression is one of the smallest words in the English language, at least, is to be the source of our strength, joy. But notice it's the Lord's joy that is to be our strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The Lord's joy, it originates, it starts this joy Amazingly with him. I don't know how you understand, how you think about God. And, but, but you must have, as you understand God, a deep sense of his joy. 
in being God. He likes it. Right? He's, he's pleased in himself. That isn't egotistical, it's just true. He's, he has joy. You remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, you can find this where John chapter 15 and uh, verse 11, that, uh, that John records for us on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he's with his disciples and he says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, the joy of Jesus, and we would understand that as the joy of our Lord, the joy of the Lord, these things I spoke to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And so even on that night, Jesus is saying things to them with the purpose that they would be filled with his joy. They would know his joy, the very joy that he knows would reflect him. The joy that is in him was to be in them and all of us ultimately. In fact, the way that Jesus prays in John chapter 17, we have it. You remember this, this prayer of Jesus that that astounds us and we have it for us recorded or laid out for us by John that Jesus is praying for his disciples the guys that are there plus all those who will believe because of them which is us and all believers of all time and then verse in verse 13 of this prayer we have Jesus saying, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And so Jesus even prays that we have his joy within us. So this joy of the Lord is to strengthen us. So if it's his joy becomes our joy, we must have it in order to be strong. Are you with me? I mean, is this making sense? Hello. There you go. Okay. I haven't been here for a while. We need to renew this conversation. Uh, now, joy, at least for me, I don't know about for you, joy for me, at least in a biblical sense, has always been tremendously difficult to define. I mean, we know it isn't just sort of happiness, giddiness, and all of that. So we know that a person can be joy, have this joy of the Lord in the midst of difficult circumstances. We know that. Because Jesus tells us that if we're persecuted for righteousness sake, that we should rejoice and be glad. And, 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 and that doesn't mean that if we're getting beaten up for the cause of Christ, that we're laughing, right? But we know there's something, some sense, and even an emotion it would tap, that would be joy. But we know it isn't giddiness or frivolity. James tells us, that we're to count it all joy when various trials, right? And so we're to count these trials uh, as, as joy to bring and ultimately bring joy. And we know those trials, by very the definition, are not easy. They're struggles. They're difficulties. They're disappointments. They could be tragedies. They could be tests of faith, which are real, honest Rubber meets the road, tests of faith. And he says, no, no, there's, there's joy there. And we know about Jesus. 
that when he went to the cross, it was for the joy that was set before him. And it was that joy that was set before him that enabled him to endure the scorn of that cross. So what really is this? Well, here's, here's now, after 30 years at least of thinking about this, uh, here's my best definition today. And by that I mean I may give you a better one in five years, uh, but I'm still thinking about it. But, but then here's, here's my best sense. The joy, this joy, this kind of joy of the Lord, is whatever it is that you feel, when you have a deep and abiding sense of well-being. I know that wasn't as exciting as you were expecting. Uh, but this, this joy, it's whatever it is that you feel. Sometimes it may quiet you, right? Sometimes it, it might cause you to weep and raise your hands in great delight. But, but, but this joy, I think, is whatever it is that we feel when we have a deep and abiding sense of well-being. And let me add to that. Regardless of the circumstances, the circumstances don't really play into this joy. They may play into our happiness and sadness and all of that, but, but they don't play into this joy. So bad circumstances don't take it away. That even in the midst of bad circumstances, this joy underlying in our lives is this deep and abiding sense that all is well. Even though circumstances may dictate quite the opposite. And then even when things are great, still this abiding joy, this deep sense that all is well, isn't even enhanced. We didn't go, see, I told you it was good. Because we know that those circumstances could change tomorrow. So it's, it's, it's not changed by that. But it also isn't thoughtless. More positively, it is a thoughtful joy. That is, it's a joy based on understanding of what is true. I, I say that because when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, these things I say to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So he was telling them stuff, whatever he told them that night, we may get to some of that. Whatever he told them that night, he told them so that they would understand something, so that they would know something. He told them they didn't something they didn't know, so that when he told them, they'd know it, and they'd know it was true, and they would believe it. And so then whatever they experienced, immediately what was to happen when Jesus was crucified, and then after, for the course of their life, that that joy would be in them. And, 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 and nothing could... Could shake it, but it was based on what he told them. And even here in Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, verse 11, it says, So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went on their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And so it was based on what they had heard, that they had what I would call a deep and abiding sense that all was well. Even though the city was a mess, even though there were enemies all around, even though they knew they were a mess, they could mess things up, uh, still 
because of what they heard, they had this deep and abiding sense of well-being. So how do we get there? Very quickly. Chapter 7, as we opened up. What we find as, as, as chapter 7 opens is that the walls have been rebuilt and Nehemiah is essentially, on behalf of God, securing the city. Right? He's, he's setting the gates and he's setting the guards and he's giving them instructions of when to open and close them. And, and so at that point, now that the walls have been rebuilt, the city itself is then secure. And those people then know that in this city, there is security. Even though there's enemies outside, I know that the walls have been rebuilt. I know that, 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 that we're safe here, you see, in the midst of this city. And this is the city of God. And Isaiah would, would later, I think, uh, put um, words to perhaps how it is they felt on that day how it is even that we one day will will feel in the city of God in Isaiah chapter 26 Isaiah uh, writes that when the city is eternally secure in that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah we have a strong city he sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks open the gates that the righteous nation may uh, that, that keeps faith may enter in you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And so it all begins as the city is secured, you see. And there's this sense that if God has secured the city for us, then we're safe. But, but, but then he goes on in, in verse 5. And he writes, Then my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first. And I found written in it. And then he goes on to list them. Uh, this expression, my God put it into my heart. Now, I'm fighting every urge to spend some time on why we ought not use that expression for ourselves very often. But those of you who know me know my little soapbox there, so I can move on. I'll come back to that sometime. Uh, but, but it's here because Nehemiah wants us to know that listing the people, reading the genealogies of those who first came, first returned from exile, was God's idea. That it was his pleasure, his desire for this to be done. He wanted Nehemiah to read this. Now this list is, is fairly close. It's meant to be fairly close. To the list that Ezra the prophet read. That he had found as well. And it's listed in Ezra and chapter 2 as well. Uh, give or take a few variations in numbers and a couple of names and things. But the sense is, these are the people who first came back, by this point, 90 years or so, before Nehemiah reads these. These are the, the people that came back. Not everybody came back. And so you might ask the question, why did some come back and not others come back? Look in Ezra, book to your left, um, chapter 1 and verse 5.
This is after Cyrus, the king of Persia, made the decree that people could go back. Verse 5. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And so not only are the walls of the city secure, but the people in it are the people who God stirred to be there. And so if you're there on this day when, when all these family names are being read and your family name is read, what you realize is I belong here. Not only because my grandfather or my father or I came back, but because God stirred, God stirred us to come back. Not everybody came back, but God stirred us to come back. I'm here because God called me, brought me here. Do you see that? Do you see that? This was God's work that they were there. And so the security for them of being in this city has just now vaulted. Because it was God who brought them back and placed them in the city. And now they say, I'm secure in God's city because God has brought me here. This is home for me. This is where I belong because this is where God says I belong. I know some of you struggle with this. But please, I beg you, receive the truth that says that you belong in the presence of God. You belong in God's city because he has stirred your heart. That he has called you here. And I know you're wondering, maybe they were wondering too, what about all those other people? I don't know. But receive the grace that says, I belong here because God has brought me here. He stirred, he stirred my heart. I was singing this morning, I hadn't noticed that I should have, sorry, sorry Tyler, I should have noticed it before, but, but I didn't notice until I was singing first service. And, and, and I've sung this song, you know, lots, just like we all have, how deep the Father's love for us. And I was just, I just caught my breath when I sang the words, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, that is, I have nothing to bring here, no power, I, I have no ability here, no wisdom, I have no brilliance here, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why? I'm thinking if you're a kid and, 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 and you're there because your dad or your grandfather came back because God stirred their heart and you're there in the city of God and you start to think, why, why should I gain from, from his reward? And that's why we stand before the cross. Why should I gain from his reward? And, and I don't know. I can't give an answer, but I do know this. That his wounds have paid my ransom. I know that. And knowing that, you see, believing that, trusting that, says, I belong here. 
And I realized I belong here, not by my own doing, but God stirred in my heart. Like Ezekiel said, he took out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. So I really am secure here. And we've been through this before. And you ask the question, how do I know? I belong here. Well, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about your own self? Are you a sinner? Yes. Do you need a savior? Yes. Jesus died on the cross for sinners? Yes. Did he die for you? Yes. All right, then you belong here. And the remarkable thing, and I read this often in Luke, and, I mean, sorry, in John in chapter 17, this prayer of Jesus, and in his introduction, in chapter 17 of John's gospel, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give, listen to this, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And you realize, if I believe, I know that Jesus died. And when he died, he satisfied, he settled God's wrath for me. It's done. And well, who are the ones that were given to Jesus? Well, Ephesians in chapter 1 again. Please, I beg you, receive this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, that is tied to him, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is, we were given to Jesus, those whom you have given me, in this eternal plan between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it was then, you see, before the foundation of the world that we were given to Jesus. Why? I have no answer <laughs> other than a statement saying thank you. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. How deep the Father's love for us. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, not ours. To the praise of his glorious grace, not ours. Which he has blessed us in the beloved that is in Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in our wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose. Which he set forth in Christ Jesus as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all these things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who are the first to open Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see, it begins this whole time there with the securing of the city and with their names being read and with the realization that we're here because God stirred in the hearts of us to be here. He brought us here. We belong here. This is, this is home for us. And there's security here. So no matter what else happens, no matter what else happens, I have a deep and abiding sense that all is well. Why? Because I belong in the fortified, safe city of God. You know, when Jesus was with his disciples on that night, he, he sort of chimed the same theme. John 14, verse 1. Jesus, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may, also, you may be also, and you know the place I'm going. You see, home, you see. He says, we belong in the presence of the Lord. That, that's, that's, Jesus says, that's where I will come and, and take you, in that secure place. And we read about that secure place in Revelation 21 and 22, where there, there's walls and, and, and anybody can come in who repents and believes, but, but, but it keeps out all the bad guys. Right? There's no evil in it. And, uh, and, 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 and there it is, in this place where there is complete well-being. And so our joy is manifested in smiles and, and great delight. Because the sense of well-being is perfect. So you say, okay, well, what about now? Well, Jesus goes on to tell them more in verse uh, 23 of the same chapter. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So Jesus is saying, even before I come back and get you and take you there, I'm going to be with you and home will be with me and the father in you by the work of the Holy Spirit who comes to abide with you. So you're still home. We always say home is where you hang your hat. No, 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 no. Home is where Jesus is. And we with him. By the Holy Spirit now. Face to face. Someday. This home, this abiding sense that yes, all is well here. And you see, that's our pilot light. That's something deep within us as believers if we know that. And if we really believe that. Now, you know as well as I do that that home can be shaken. It's like our houses can be shaken, as we know in Kansas. But that can be shaken in various ways. And when it shakes, we need to go to the deepest part of that. We need to grab a hold of the fact that I'm home with the Lord all the time. That this is my dwelling place in him and he in me. And I'm safe here. All is well here. No matter what. No matter who wins the election. No matter what happens in the stock market. No matter what the doctor says. No matter what my professor says. Parenthetically, study more if that's what he says. Do that. Uh... And if your doctor says lose some weight, uh, uh, 
My doctor's 10 pounds overweight. I love him. Uh, You know, the tragedies, right, that happen in life. Babies that get sick. Shakes us, shakes me. Relationships that get frayed. Shake us, shakes me. We need to go deeper. We need to say, oh yes. And that, you see, when this word that I'm here only because God stirred my heart. I'm here only because God moved me. I'm here only because he chose me before the foundation of the world. Only because he gave me to Jesus for Jesus to die for me. That I'm really ultimately secure. If I think it was my doing in any way, shape, or form, even the eensy teensy bit, it will make me insecure. There'll be a window to crawl out of this house and I'll feel insecure. No, it's the work of God. You belong here. He says, trust me. That's the sense of Isaiah 26, that he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind gets it. His mind is stayed His mind is stayed upon him. And so that's why, and we'll have to get to this next week, but that's why uh, Nehemiah then, in chapter 8, begins to to read the book. Because he, he wants them to know what God has said so they can understand it, so that they can have this joy, this deep and abiding sense. I mean, the scene in chapter 8 is is fantastic. Because it happens on the first day of the seventh month, significant month. First day of the seventh month in ancient Israel was the day of trumpets. The trumpets would blow and the people would come and, and gather together. And when they would gather together, it was to be this sacred time, you see. Rather like a Sabbath. No work. And they were to gather together. And so they all gathered together at this place. And a platform had been being built prior to this day. And the platform was finally completed. And so the people, this, don't miss this, the people go to Ezra the priest and they begin to shout at him, read us the book. It's not like Ezra stood up and said no in the hearing. No, he, he, it, was, it, was the, it was the people. And can you imagine? I can't. I can't imagine not having access to the word of God throughout the course of my life. In fact, we take it so for granted sometimes that it's just Bibles are sitting all over the place and we pick up the book next to it. I do sometimes, a lot. Or the newspaper next to it or the iPad next to it, whatever it is we read from. And because and, I'll get to that because it's always there. But for these people, it hadn't always been there. And the word is somebody had a book, the book of God. And so, so they, they began to clamor, read. And there's tens of thousands of people at this Watergate. Not a hotel in D.C. But at the Watergate, the gate where the water went in and out. Uh, and, and, and so there they gathered. That was a common gathering place where the water was, right? Everybody went there. Tens of thousands of people gathering there. Platform built. And, and, and they clamor for Ezra to read the book. And he reads for hours, like probably six. And because he was reading in Hebrew and they spoke Aramaic, by and large, uh, there were translators and, and, and people who would come and, and, and teach. And, and the only people, the people there were men and women and, and, and the young people, children who could understand. I, I think that's when children's church started. I don't know. But, but we had everybody who could understand. And so they gave them the sense of it. And when they gave the people the sense of it, they broke out and wept. 
And you might think, why did they weep? Well, they heard Genesis 3. Have you ever wept at Genesis 3? I mean, if you're hearing Genesis 1 and 2 read and and the wonderful garden that God had established for Adam and Eve and then for them to to cultivate and and spread throughout the world and, and you see what was lost would cause you to weep. And then the sin and, and, and all that, that, that would continue even then to the days of Noah and then even after the days of Noah. And then you would hear the law read and you would look at your own life and realize how far short you had fallen. And then you would hear the blessings and the curses in Deuteronomy and you would realize that's us. That we've so sinned that we came under the curse of God so that we were exiled. No wonder they wept. But there's a sense in which Ezra and Nehemiah said, there's time for weeping, chapter 9, uh, there's time for weeping, but, but, but not now, because you need strength, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Where would they find this joy? Well, the great news that we read through the scripture is that we can't be left in our sorrow over guilt and shame, not if we really hear it, because everywhere throughout is this Word that God delights to forgive sinners. And so he establishes a way. And no doubt they would read, the, the Levit- heard read Leviticus 20, uh, 16 and 23 about the Day of Atonement, about, about this one day where one animal, two really, but one primarily sacrificed so that the sins of the people would be forgiven. And they would hear that. And he says, grab a hold of that. That's your joy. To know that God has made a way. And God has made a way for you to dwell in his presence forever. Don't weep. May the joy, this deep and abiding sense, that because you dwell in the house of God, in the city of God, all is well let's pray Father I pray for me I pray for all of us that we would know this that we would understand this that we would know especially that all is well because Jesus has come and he has lived and he's obeyed at every point where we've disobeyed so every time we're sad because of our disobedience There's a sense of this joy because we know that Jesus has obeyed for us. And though we know our sin and that saddens us, we know that Jesus, filled with this same joy, went to the cross so that we might be forgiven and thus accepted so that we would live in your presence always. And thus, we of all people should have this deep and abiding sense that all is well. As we have mentioned this morning, God, there are things that shake that in our lives. I think of Angela Jacobson and her family. The loss of her father and death can shake that. Grief can shake that. And so I... Pray for all who grieve. They not be shaken. 
but hearken back and remember the Lord and know that they dwell in his presence and that you would grant to them this unshakable sense that all is well based on what they know to be true about you, God. And for the putt camps and jewels and all of us really on the shaking when a little one, an infant, has difficulties. We're grateful, of course, for the technology and all of that that you give to us and we use it with gratefulness. But still it can shake us at the moment. And we thank you that you grant to us a deep and abiding understanding that you are with us. And so, no matter what happens, that all is well. For those who are lonely, for those who find estrangement in relationships, those who have been hurt, those who are ill, those who feel pain, those who face dying. Pray you grant to us this joy and the joy of the Lord would show itself to be our strength. 